Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. Today, uh, we have Patricia, who has read an article for us. And uh, why don't you just tell us a couple of sentences of high level what you're going to be talking with us about today? Sure. So I'm going to be talking about email incivility. So it's basically people being mean via email um, and how that impacts your stress levels, but also how that impacts the stress of your partner and then their work. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's kind of an interesting thing where it's, you know, taking stress from work doesn't just stay with you, but it can actually impact your partner's work too. Mean people have a bigger impact than they think. Right. They're not only ruining your day, but they're probably ruining your partner's day and then their workplace and whatever's going on there. So that's not good. Don't be mean. If you're in the middle of writing a mean email right now, stop. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Change course. Be nice. Do not be mean. Delete. Um, (laughs) Well, well, that sounds awesome. I'm excited to learn more about it. But before we jump into that, how is life going for you today? Life is good. Um, Trying to think. I have a trip to Florida this week for work. So that should be interesting. It's been a busy couple weeks and I think I have a bunch of stuff coming up in the next few weeks too. I'll get to see you in a couple weeks. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, that'll be Um, awesome. Yeah, it'll be so good. But other than that, I mean, things have been pretty pretty laid back pretty chill we've ha- I was telling you earlier we've had a pretty cool summer so far yeah so like I'm like waiting for it to feel more like summer but it's been kind of nice um I can't really complain I haven't had anything super exciting to tell over the past couple weeks but um things are going well that's how good. about you um everything's going good I haven't really been going to any places um I was in Ocean City, New Jersey with my family for a little while over 4th of July holiday. That was nice. Um, and I've just been kind of hanging out around here, going to PT, um, trying to get my foot 100% back in the swing of things. Yay. Yeah, so that's all good. It takes a long time um, to mm-hmm. do PT and, like, just weird, weird exercises that I'm, like, just try. I just, like, want my foot to do it. It doesn't hurt. I'm just like, why won't you do it? Why won't you do it? Like, it just like needs to move like a little bit further. And I'm just like, come on, buddy, you can do it. Um, but, but she's doing good. The old foot's doing good. It's all right. Um, and yeah, we've just hung out with friends a little bit lately and just been enjoying, um, DC. Unlike California, it's been like a bucket of disgusting, wet hotness down here so um <laughs> that part I has been that. gross yeah I feel like it's almost pointless to take a shower in the morning because if you just go outside and like since now my I'm back in the saddle like I am walking everywhere again so mm-hmm. I walked to PT this morning and then I felt really bad for the PT people because I showed up and I was like, I'm <laughs> so sweaty. I'm sorry. Like, I don't like, know. You what don't to need do. to touch me. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm a, I don't know what to tell you to do. There's no avoiding this now. It's just what's happening. Um, <laughs> and then I try to mention like 15 times, like I walked here, I walked here, I walked here. So they don't just think I'm like spontaneously disgusting. 
they know they get it they live there too they understand that as soon as you walk out the door it's just like being hit with a wall of sweat anyways i hope so but uh yeah anyway so that's basically been my life and we're here um this upcoming weekend just hanging out and then the following no the following week you're not here but then the week after that you're here yep yes yep 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 so i think it's two mondays from today that i get in yes yes i think so i'm excited me too i think it'll it's be been fun, a little fun. while since i've seen you i, I know when the last time was i guess april yeah psyop right yeah 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 that's crazy Time mm-hmm. goes very quickly, I must say. This will be the first time you'll see me as a married woman. I oh. know. <laughs> You're going to look so different. I'll be like, who I are know. you? You're going to be like, oh, you just seem so sophisticated and mature Yeah, now. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> wow. You, my mom used to tell people that when they got older, well, not people, but like my friends in high school, she would, for whatever reason, she used the term woman face and she'd be like, you're getting your woman face. And so all, <laughs> <laughs> all my friends like in high school would be like, do I have my woman face yet? And she'd be like, mm, not yet. But like other people. And then my one friend, she just like, it took her a million years to get her woman face. And then finally on the day she got married, my mom was like, now you have your woman face. <laughs> but i think my mom was just being nice because her face didn't change at all like she so she still has a kid face that's not a bad thing i don't know i think i think now everybody has their woman face but you know the act of getting married doesn't make you have your woman face i'm just saying but there will be a new air of um sophistication about you or something i don't know (laughs) sure yep yep totally changed person here Uh (laughs) uh-huh and uh, as soon as you get that title then all of a sudden you're like just an older wiser i know fancier person well i don't know my students think definitely think that once i got married i seemed old to them like they were just like oh you're old like that was basically what happened like they thought i was like sort of like like them and kind of cool when I was younger and I was like oh my boyfriend and they were like oh I have a boyfriend too and then once I got married they were just like old done I know it's true as soon as you hear the words like wife and husband it's like well now you're obviously an old person because only old people have wives and husbands right like you're old we have nothing in common goodbye like I feel like that's what they think Um. (laughs) I know I think it's very true I mean it's also true that we're like now in our like early to mid 30s I know so that also makes a difference like yeah. when you were teaching and you were in your 20s too no, like yeah. it's you know yeah unfortunately we're aging I mean it's fortunate that we are aging but it's also <laughs> unfortunate because I don't want to look older <laughs> it's unfortunate that we're still alive <laughs> uh, and but it's unfortunate that society makes us feel bad for being old no you're right I agree um, because there's, we can, we should talk about that maybe at some point of like age mm. perceptions of age by gender, like how many beauty products there are for women. And it's just like, hide your wrinkles for all eternity. You'll never get old, like whatever. And then like for man faces, people are just like, eh, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. You're always fine. You're Looks just a man. Good. Face. <laughs> <laughs> no um, I mean, there's, isn't there like a whole thing? I mean, I feel like we're getting really off topic, but yeah. I feel like there's some research around 
age and women in the workplace and like there there's like a very tiny sweet spot where you're like taken seriously and then yeah. after that it's like oh well now you're just an old person yeah there is and um I want to do some stuff on looking at um executive women have told me that once they get to a certain point people don't give them the same this is just anecdotal but I'm interested in learning more about it because they say that people don't give them the same credibility it's like their experience doesn't their continued experience doesn't give them continued credibility people just start to think of them like like oh you're like cute like my grandma basically yeah which yeah. is interesting I've heard that too it's like you can't be young you can't be like in your 20s or even in your early 30s and be right. in a leadership position because then you're not taken seriously because right. you're just like some young I don't know bimbo or some other stupid right, word that people right, would use right. and then you know when you're in your like 40s and maybe early 50s it's like okay you're fine. You're a human. We can pay attention to. Right. And then it's like, oh, wait, you're old. You must be a grandmother. You yeah. must just make such great cookies. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like, that's what they were <laughs> saying, that, like, people would come to them and be like, oh, you know, you remind me. I, like, can I ask you for life advice? You remind me of my grandma. And they're like, no, I don't really want to give you life advice. Like, are you going to go bother, like, the my male colleagues for life advice? Like, you're not. Yeah. So I don't want to spend time on this. But, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, so yes, we got way off topic with that, but maybe <laughs> somebody will write a mean email to an older woman at work <laughs> and that's how we can make a segue into the topic for today. Um, <laughs> please don't write a mean email to an older woman. <laughs> just, yeah. just be nice don't to all people. <laughs> don't do it. We, we don't encourage it, but maybe there's lots happening. of reasons why, because if you don't care about the woman, you're going to impact her husband too. Yes. Okay? Yes. Exactly. <laughs> her older husband who is yes. distinguished and fabulous <laughs> and we love his experience. So we don't want to impact him. <laughs> exactly. So on that note, what is the title of the article and who wrote it and all that good stuff? Okay. So the article was written in the Journal of Organizational Behavior, and um, it was written by Park and Hahn in 2018, and it's called The Long Arm of Email Incivility, Transmitted Stress to the Partner and Partner Work Withdrawal. Mm. So long title, but super interesting, um, I think at least, because we talk about workplace incivility. So that's something that has been researched before. Workplace incivility is basically just being disrespectful to people at work so being rude or insensitive in the way that you treat others um and it obviously has an impact on people's well-being it has an impact on how they feel about the job and the workplace email incivility is the same idea but it's through work email which is a way that obviously people communicate a lot more frequently today than maybe when this type of research was first starting so it's really being dis disrespectful and inconsiderate through your work emails. And so the examples they give are things like rude messages, um, time-sensitive messages that are sent without enough notice. So mm. saying like, I need this right now. Um, and then also ignored requests. So when Ooh. you ask someone for something and they don't respond. Ghosting. Well, yeah. I guess ghosting is more like you were responding and then all of a sudden you're just like, bye. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> but I mean, I can imagine like ignored requests. Obviously, there's yeah. times where people don't intentionally do it right you may be bombarded with a bunch of emails and something just kind of falls off but then there's times where it's probably a coworker you work with some other situation you send an email to request something and then they never say anything about that and they might yeah. respond to something else yeah. or talk to you about something else at some point but so this whole request is just completely ignored yeah and uh 
I think that's kind of an interesting one for sure. I'd be really interested to see people dive into each of these. Yeah. Because I think these are really unique to email. So the ignored request or the time sensitive messages, like here's my, I mean, I get them from clients all the time, you know, yeah. here's there's urgent request for something random that probably is not life or death, but they treat it like that. Um, and it can be very stressful and it, it does feel disrespectful because it's as if you're only your all of your time is just to serve them versus like right. thinking about the person and their job a little more holistically that obviously it's not all about you. So you shouldn't right. expect that someone can turn something around in like five seconds. Right. And they probably have like, I don't know, other clients that might need stuff <laughs> that, or they might you have think? a plan to do something <laughs> or they might be on site that day or, um, in meetings. Whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Did they mm-hmm. talk at all about like the way that they define rude emails? Like, do they talk about like, I don't know, like all caps or like, um, like, is that uh, they like didn't. the other ones seem more specific, but rude emails seem still like a little mysterious to me. Yeah. So that's what they said in the description when they actually measured it. Th- they gave a couple example questions. Um, so it's more of a perceptions of email and civility. So whether okay. I felt like my emails were unkind or rude or disrespectful and so one of the questions was you know that you experienced someone ignoring a request you made through email but yeah. another example was someone said something hurtful to you through email okay gotcha um so I don't know what that is I'm grateful that I don't really get really hurtful emails yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure it happens um yeah. yeah so it's those kinds of questions that were asked for that yeah okay that makes sense so when somebody receives these kinds of emails at work, it makes them feel stressed and then they pass that along. Can you talk a little bit more about what that process looks like? How did they like define that? Sure. So they looked at two different theories. So if anybody's interested in the theories, they talked about the conservation of resources theory and they talked about the spillover crossover model. So those are the two concepts that they worked with. And I'll talk a little bit about them. We'll go into crazy detail, but um We'll set, I'll put some links to those types of articles if anyone is interested. Basically, what it says is, and what they found, is that you get an unkind email or a rude email or someone's ignoring you, and you're getting these kind of constant little stressors, right, of these things happening via email. And so what ends up happening is you will then withdraw from work. That's one piece mm. of the puzzle. What that mean withdrawal from work means that you're not engaged, you're avoiding tasks, you're kind of putting in less effort. And that goes with the conservation of resources theory. So if you're feeling stressed out, you want to conserve your energy. So having to manage your stress takes energy, right? Takes some resources. And so in order to balance the fact that you've had to manage the stress, you're going to be less likely to put in effort and other things so that you continue to conserve your resources so you don't get burnt out. Gotcha. It's basically the theory there, right? Yep. Um, so then what happens is they found that if you get these emails, then the next week at work, so if you're looking, they looked at two weeks, right? So the, the first week they measured how much of this did you experience, this email incivility. And the next week they looked to see, well, did you withdraw from work? And yes, people that had more of these kinds of negative email experiences were less likely to put in effort the next week. They were more likely to do these things to conserve their energy and be disengaged at work. Gotcha. The next piece of the puzzle 
that spillover crossover piece is basically what spillover is, is an employee that's stressed, that stress can spill over into their life, right? So if I'm at work and I feel really stressed out, it's kind of like work family conflict, right? So I'm feeling stressed out at work. I go home. I might still feel stressed out. Yeah. That's spillover. Crossover is I come home, I'm feeling stressed out. And then my partner catches that Hmm. and stressed emotions are specifically feeling stress or anything negative is caught very easily. So if I'm feeling bad, the person that I'm close with is probably going to eventually feel bad too. Okay. Yeah. So getting these kinds of emails drains you of energy and uh, because you're drained of energy, you're trying to basically conserve your energy in other places. So you're less likely to put forth effort on the job, et cetera. And you also have some sort of, uh, a reaction to this that uh, causes uh, stress and maybe emotionality, things like that, that you bring home. And then when you come home, you're still feeling the effects of it and your partner kind of picks up on that and it makes them feel worse too. Exactly. Yep. So if you come home, you show stress, your partner takes that stress too, starts to feel stressed. And then the last piece of the puzzle is they then also withdraw from work the next Mm. week. So that was the really interesting connection is not only is that email rudeness going to make you disengaged at work, but that stress that you're carrying from it is going to impact your partner so much that they're also going to disengage at work because they're having to conserve their energy because they're also feeling stressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So everybody's kind of clamming up a little bit because they're feeling like, okay, I've dedicated resources to this other thing. And if I'm going to continue to be able to get through this day, I need to just kind of, you know, keep to myself a little bit more. I need to make sure that I'm not, um, you know, go, I'm not able to go all out because sort of my energy has been put in another place. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So the way they measure things like work withdrawal or, um, questions like, taken longer lunches and rests or bathroom breaks than allowed like how often do they do that how often do they put less effort in the job than they should have things like that so really just maybe taking a little bit more time away from work than they would have otherwise um, because of the stress and trying to conserve that energy yeah that's interesting I would like to see and I know they didn't test it in this study but I would like to see whether or not part of um what the partner picks up on too is like, oh, if my if my partner can get these kind of like rude emails from people or is frustrated by other people at work, it kind of changes the way you think about reciprocal relationships. Like, oh, mm-hmm. maybe that could happen to me too. Um, you know, maybe I shouldn't invest as much into this because uh, one day something could come back and bite me or maybe there are people in my workplace that feel that way about me, but it hasn't happened yet, but it's coming or something, you know, like it could make people mm-hmm. more disenchanted with their own work because they recognize the possibility that people might not behave so nicely as they'd like them to. Well, interesting that you said that because they did actually measure um, another variable And they called it negative work reflection. Hmm. So that's really when people are like ruminating on issues, right? They're thinking about what the negative things that happened at work and they can't let go of it. And so this, the time period they're measuring when people were stressed out was over the weekend. So the kinds of questions they would ask is, I thought about the negative aspects of my job during the weekend. Mm -hmm. So all those things, if they are focusing and dwelling on this over the weekend, theoretically they're talking to their partner about that. So to your point, they're talking to their partner, they're thinking and reflecting on the negative things that happen, then their partner 
is picking up on all those negative things and probably thinking about their workplace too. Like, Oh, maybe I got an email like that, or maybe I did this or maybe, you know, um, whatever that looks like, but it's kind of almost that, that transfer seems to be more direct even than just I'm stressed and now you're stressed. It seems to be like specifically around this because the more a person had negative work reflection or said that they did this over that weekend, the more stressed out the partner was and the more likely they were to withdraw. So the stress is one piece, but having this constant reflection, not being able to let go of what happened makes it even worse. So I Mm. think there is some of what you're saying is that's probably what's happening. That's really interesting. And I I know rumination is a big thing um, in the literature that's sort of getting uncovered now more is this idea that, as you replay things over and over in your head and this is more almost like reflections almost like a social form of rumination you're talking about it or reflecting on it and and potentially that's happening with another person and I think that you know one of rumination is a part of this group of uh, paranoid cognitions or it can be a part of a group of paranoid cognitions which is basically um, this idea that you can't really trust your colleagues and you feel like you have to be on guard around them and uh, rumination is a part of that process that you sort of spend time thinking about the negative aspects of people mm-hmm. that surround you at work. So if you get caught in that cycle, it can be really bad for your well-being. But the problem is that like just mentally, naturally, human beings focus on relationships and they focus on mm-hmm. negative things much more heavily than they focus on positive things. So if you're in, at work and you have a coworker that just, you know, you, you feel like doesn't like you and you don't know why, or they are acting snippy with you, or you can't seem to see eye to eye on something, you're much more likely to spend time thinking about um, those interactions and ruminating on those interactions than you are on interactions that went well. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting about that rumination piece is that, you know, as you're deconstructing that information with whoever you're talking to, that you're basically then maybe causing them to relive past experiences that maybe they had ruminated on before, but sort of were able to put out of their mind at this point. And then it comes back and you're like, oh my gosh, well, yeah, I remember when that happened to me. And you might share similar experiences with that person and sort of brings back some of those memories that uh, maybe were hurtful at the time and took a while to get rid of are now like back in your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really valid. I think that there's a lot of that focus on um, the negative that is easily transferable. And in any conversation that you have, you know, someone's talking about, oh, this horrible thing that my boyfriend did or, mm-hmm. you know, my boss or my friend or my sister, or whatever that looks like. You then, as you're having a conversation with somebody, they often will bring up examples of when it happened to them. And right. sometimes it's like a here's my advice here's what I did in that situation and but it does make that person think about it and rethink about it and and bring up that um that negative experience and you know obviously there's some benefit I think the reason why humans I mean I'm curious I don't know that much about the broader literature on rumination but a big piece of it is probably that social relationships are really important to us so we focus on those negative things so that we can improve them next time right yeah that's a big component of it but you know if we do it too much and if there's things that are not in our control, it can just continue to create this cycle of stress mm-hmm. when really like if someone ignores your email, that's not on you. Mm-hmm. Like you didn't do that. Most like, I mean, there's obviously there's a chance that you did something to piss that person off and that's why they're not responding to you. Right. But 
odds are they lost the email, whatever. I don't even be intentional on their side, but you just focus on that because you're like, okay, well, how can I improve this interaction? How can I make sure this person doesn't do this again? Or why are they mad at me or whatever? Right. Um, and then you just continue and spiral and spiral and it's really hard. Yeah. It's hard to move past until you've kind of figured it out in your head as to why it happened or how to make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's the difficult part about, uh, you know, being human and being engaged in these kinds of, you know, close relationships at work or, you know, ongoing interactions at work is that even if you want to pretend like they don't matter, they do matter to people. Uh, you know, the way mm-hmm. that you feel around other people plays a big role in whether or not you're happy in your workplace and whether or not you're bringing home this kind of stress. So that in and of itself is, uh, you know, just unavoidable that you're going to care um, about how mm-hmm. people feel about you. And so at the end of the day, when you go home and you're processing your day, those are the sorts of things that unfortunately your brain holds on to is, you know, what didn't go well today? How can I fix it? Because it's sort of an unresolved, um, like something positive that happens, there's a resolution to it. It was good. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's it's resolved. Something negative that happens is, uh, you know, there may not be as much closure around it. Um, or if there is, maybe, you know, your feelings to it aren't closed. So you don't get a promotion or something, um, even though that may be a closed case, you're not getting it your emotions still need time to process in a way that positive emotions don't. So it's like always going back to this sort of like basic humanity. Um, And then when someone that you care about is unhappy or something bad has happened to them, you may just feel badly for them. And that might cause some negative, um, you know, feelings for you in your life in general, but you may also feel negatively about your work because it could remind you of times that that happened, or it may be the case that it also, um, you know, makes you think about the possibility that something like that could happen to you um, as well. So I think that's really interesting. Is there, do Mm -hmm. they have suggestions in the article for uh, what people should do um, if they uh, experience this? Because it's uh, like you said, like you can't make yourself not get a negative email or you can't make your someone you can't force someone to pay attention to uh, your emails. So um, this is sort of something inevitable that seems to have some pretty bad consequences. Right. And unfortunately, they didn't have any specific suggestions. Like I have some thoughts myself, but mm-hmm. um, they didn't in the article. The things that they suggest in the article, which are I think are valid suggestions, too, are really around what the organization should do. Mm-hmm. And they talk about training employees on proper communication, how to make sure, you know, their message or what their meaning was isn't lost in like text translations. <laughs> like mm-hmm. when you think about it, your tone is hard to read. Um, yeah. Maybe a short uh, couple sentences can sound snippy, even if you didn't mean it that way. So just trying to make sure that you're very clear. And so training employees on how to ensure that you're not accidentally sending negative messages. Mm-hmm. Um being able to, you know, just, just basically training on civility, right? So, and I think that there's some room for that just in general with organizations yeah. and training employees on how to treat each other properly. Um, and so email would just be one component of that type of a training. They also talked about code of conduct. So mm. there's code of conduct usually around, you know, all sorts of different things within an organization, what you can and can't do and what you can and can't say and what you do in email can be part of that and... Um, I think that's critical too, right? If you know that certain types of responses are just not appropriate, 
an email based on what your organization says and then they actually I don't know discipline people on violations of that code of conduct would be critical to change the culture around email Mm -hmm. Um, and the third thing they said for organizations is really around creating some sort of wellness programs to reduce stress so I mean that's obvious something we talk about all the time is making sure that employees are not stressed and helping reduce that stress and um, if that is something that people are focusing on and working on then maybe there's a way to alleviate some of the the negative feeling from the email incivility if you have some good coping mechanisms yeah um so having the organization put those in place and I think that applies to from an employee perspective too right if you have coping mechanisms about stress and like what you typically do when you're not feeling good or feeling stressed out that works really well for you you should definitely do that when you're um, upset about some of these email interactions yeah so I think that that makes sense and I know the mindfulness research talks a lot about how it's specifically mindfulness and practicing mindfulness is specifically good at interrupting rumination so it might even be something Mm -hmm. that people could do at home or you could provide people the resources so that you know they can try to disrupt that once they get out of the workplace if it's difficult to find time for at work or uh you know they just are feeling too overwhelmed with being near the person that is being rude to them or whatever the case may be that uh, when you get home you might be able to interrupt some of those processes through mindfulness and then I think also the code of conduct thing is really good just because it makes it more behavioral and clear like and if somebody is violating that policy clearly violating that policy I mean sometimes it might be more nuanced than that Um, And you can't like legislate every possible combination that might result in, you know, a rude email. But if there's, you know, a general code of conduct that you can hold people accountable to, then when somebody has a complaint about an employee or when something's really bothering them, the organization has something to fall back on so that it doesn't look like they're picking on that person. But it's just something that they consistently apply to everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think that's huge. Having that code of conduct helps the organization manage expectations around it and then it helps managers hold people accountable for things too Mm -hmm. um and also gives them some clear role modeling behavior like what they should and shouldn't do in emails themselves yeah um and i think that you know email incivility comes from within the organization but if you're working with clients too you have to recognize that you can't legislate what happens from a customer perspective or a client perspective And I think the way managers handle those situations is huge too. Like if you get a customer that emails you on a Friday at 4 p.m. saying they need this whole report by 5 and your manager lets the client and customer treat you Mm -hmm. that way, then it's going to cause a lot of stress and that email incivility is going to go further. If you don't have the capacity to do that or the time and it's not going to be possible and you're allowed to say, I can't this I can get this to you by Tuesday yeah then you know that that makes a big difference and if your manager supports you in that and ensures you to be able to do that then that's huge or even 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 internal teams right like clients is one thing because you can't tell a client like please never send an email like that again right right, right. um well you could I th- in theory you could but it's a you little bit trickier wouldn't. yeah yeah it's trickier but you know for internal communications too like if there's a standard that if you ask somebody you know if you're sending someone an email you should expect a response within 24 hours if that's like the standard then that's fine mm-hmm. if you need something quicker then you know that you have to address it in a different way and 
you know, reach out to them in a different way, go to their desk, whatever, or you have to plan ahead. And I think that's a really fair thing to do in most cases. Um, And, you know, except for in healthcare where it actually could be life or death, there's probably not a real reason why you need to respond within two minutes of getting an email. Right. Um, So I think that there's a lot that can be done from like a role modeling perspective, from a code of conduct perspective and what managers support their employees in terms of responses to these types of emails um, to make sure that if they're supported by their manager, that if an email that comes off really rude or is asking too much, or if someone's not responding to you and they have good approaches on how to handle that and support you through it, then I think that helps a lot. Yeah. And I think also it probably helps to have something about this in like a 360 performance review or something of that nature that leaders would also get feedback because I think that Mm -hmm. a lot of times people just model the behaviors that they see other people doing and so if they work for a manager that's really bad at this or if you're senior I mean you know I'm sure you've seen it too but uh you know just working with different clients or um you know talking to different people that have worked in different organizations like senior leaders are not immune to being rude through email or being overly demanding or so um, it also probably has to be something where everybody is looking themselves in the mirror and trying to make these changes. And mm-hmm. so adding something about email conduct to performance reviews so that, you know, the leader is getting some feedback on that and being held accountable to that feedback could also be helpful because I would imagine that if you're getting dumped on, then you might be more likely to dump on the person, you know, that's under you and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the role modeling behavior is not supporting the culture that you want. Agreed. Yeah, I think, honestly, I think leaders can be more guilty of this. Um, mm-hmm. They have less time. And, you know, in my experience across multiple organizations that I've worked for and with, um, sometimes the senior leaders just are like, well, I don't have that much time because I'm so high up and thus I'm so right. important. And so right. my email can be super snippy and two words and right. you should just be able to know what I mean and what I want from it right away right, right. and be super rude. And they think that's okay. And a lot of people do like, that is very common. I think that's a really valid point. Like, you know, managers lead role playing and modeling the, the correct behavior and all of that is really critical. But if they don't know what that is, um, or they're guilty of doing these types of things, then that's not helpful. So I do think that organizational training, that that really clear code of conduct, I mean, mm-hmm. it probably should be part of leadership trainings. Like, there's always leadership trainings in organizations. People really focus a lot on that, and I think this is one of those things. Like, as a leader, you should not feel like you're more important than everybody else, yeah. and you are not busier than everybody else. Right. That is generally untrue yeah um leaders tend to have different types of busyness more Mm -hmm. meetings and things like that Mm -hmm. and you know they might be talking to shareholders or some higher level folks so it always feels more urgent but that's only Mm -hmm. because higher level folks are making it more urgent and they don't need to right right um so from and you know the people below are the ones that are doing the work so they obviously are busy too yeah because they're doing what you need them to do so it just seems like a really unfair um, perspective that I think a lot of leadership does take and does have a tendency of rushing emails and not spending time on it or you know either they're the ones that are sending the two word emails or they're the ones that are ignoring your emails for like a month at a time right because right. they're too busy to get to it and if that's actually the case then you should have 
executive assistants that are helping and can, you know, respond to things, make it polite. Like there's just so many ways to address it. Yeah. And I totally agree. I think that as you were talking about all that leadership stuff, I was like, you're right. Like I, in my dream world, these managers, these leaders are role modeling the right thing to do, but it doesn't happen for mo- for a lot yeah. of leaders. Yeah, I think everybody can benefit from, especially if it's something important or you're communicating something that could easily get misconstrued or you've been going back and forth with somebody about something and maybe you don't agree or you haven't been seeing eye to eye. You know, I Mm -hmm. think something really like positive that I was taught early on by one of our professors at Penn State, Rick Jacobs, he told me that, um, Mm. you know, if something is important to you, or if you feel like there's a lot on the line or you feel like you're communicating an emotion or it's just something that has higher stakes than like a, hey, how you doing? How are things going? Kind of email. If you feel like there's any doubt in your mind that you haven't phrased something the best possible way, write it out, send it to yourself, let it sit there for an hour and then reopen it like you're opening it as the other person and see if you're still happy with what you said. And if you're still happy with what you said, then you can send it. But I find that when I do that almost every single time, I'll change something about what I said, how I said it, you know, not that I think that I'm mean by email by any means uh, normally, (laughs) but like it does, if you're trying to communicate something complicated or something, you know, sensitive or touchy or whatever, it does help to sort of, okay, here's my initial read on how to say it. I'm going to send it and then I'm going to let it sit and I'm just going to open it again in an hour and say, is this really what I want to say? And I, like I said, I almost always change something about it. So my first, my first gut thing, even if I spend time on writing it, isn't usually exactly what I wanted to say when I look at it again with fresh eyes. Yeah. I think that's a really, really good tip. Go Rick. That's good advice. Um, Thanks Rick. I mean, (laughs) it is though, because you, you don't, when you're, especially if it's emotional anyway, it's really hard for you to see past your emotion mm-hmm. and see how those words can be taken. And um, even if your emotion isn't like anger, even if your emotion is just like, this is so important to me and I feel like very strongly about this, mm-hmm. um, that emotion can come off really sharp. Yeah. And if, if you just don't temper it or think of how to word it so that the emotion, the proper emotion is coming through yeah. and not just the fact that there is emotion behind it. Right. Um, yep. I think there's a difference. I think that sometimes it can just seem like clearly there's somebody, there's some emotion behind it, but the way it's worded could be taken as angry or upset or, you know, right. whatever other emotion, even if that's not the one that you're feeling, just because when you're emotional, the type of language you're using is really different than when yeah. you kind of calm down a little bit. Absolutely. So I think you're right. And I think if you're upset with somebody, you know, that can be a time where you send an email that is not kind and not respectful. And maybe, I mean, your tip is a great one, but if you're actually upset with a person, it might make sense to send an email to set up a time to talk, talk about them. it. Right. Yeah. You know, absolutely. actually talk to them about it. And, yep. you know, maybe you need that moment to write it, send it to yourself uh, just for the email right, that yeah. says we want, I want to talk. Yep. Um, so you're not sending an email that says, I want to talk see you at blah 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 and then send it that sounds aggressive and mean too and then the person's on the defensive immediately um so if you're able to kind of word that in a more pleasant way then the person is a little bit more open to the conversation and you can have that conversation in person or on the phone or in a way where 
emotions and tone can be addressed yeah and more effectively than via text I completely agree with that and more and more as I gain I think more skill in communicating with others I'll do that like okay we've gone back and forth three times we're clearly not understanding what the other person is saying why don't we just get on a call and talk about it because I or with students sometimes like if they keep escalating a conversation like I want more points on this and I'm like yeah that you know there's not an opportunity for that and like no but I really want them or whatever I'll be like hey you know we've gone back and forth a couple times I know that probably you're just upset about your grade and you want to you know have a conversation why don't we talk about this in person as opposed to by email and usually it works out so much better that way um Mm -hmm. so yeah I think that's an awesome tip Yeah, I think it's huge. So I guess the takeaways really from today are think about the emails you're sending. Mm -hmm. Try to be cognizant of your tone, um, your emotionality, how you're approaching the person, what you're saying. Try not to be rude in those situations. Um, Respond to emails. Yeah, yes. Um, Don't just ignore people. And then don't ask someone to do something that's completely unrealistic um without I mean sometimes you might have to and then you can be very apologetic and then you can like you know make it more you know more of a positive situation in the sense that you're being very kind to them with this request versus the I need this done now and I have no time to talk about it so boom send done um you know so I think there's a lot of ways that we can be better from an email perspective and then if you're on the receiving end I think the big takeaways are try to be mindful like you were saying meditation mindfulness mindfulness specifically is really good for this type of thing so you're not dwelling on this issue Mm -hmm. and dwelling on the problem so really work on things like mindfulness if you're really struggling with people being rude via email um take some time to de-stress don't you know if you're going home like you don't want to impact your partner in that way and i think of course i'm not saying do not talk to your partner about the things that happened at work that's absurd you should definitely do that but if you're able to de-stress about it and fix it in a way that you're not dwelling on it too much then that impact on your your partner is going to be a lot smaller yeah um so you don't yeah you want to do the things to make sure that not only are you taking care of yourself but then you're taking care of your partner yeah um yeah and then obviously like we talked about from a managerial and organizational perspective it's role modeling creating clear codes of conduct training people and providing the room to participate in some of these wellness type programs to help reduce stress. Yeah. This isn't taken home with them. Definitely. And if you see your partner starting to spiral on something, it probably is also helpful to flag it up um, so that, you know, Mm -hmm. you both don't get sucked into it that you can say, okay, it's fine for us to talk about this, but let's limit it to a certain period of time. And then we're going to both try to do something to de-stress or relax or whatever the case may be and sort of try Mm -hmm. to separate from it. That's a great point. So if your partner comes home and it's the weekend and then they're spending a lot of time talking about this really mean email they got, then it's like, all right, let's, I'm glad we discussed it. I'm, I want to be there for you. Let's think about ways to, you know, remove that stress right now from us. So you're, if you're the outside partner that didn't have it happen to them, that's huge because you probably have less of that emotional connection. So you can try to make that impact. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you for bringing this up. You know, we're constantly emailing all the time. So it's really important to remember uh, email etiquette for other people and also to recognize the impacts that a lack of etiquette might have on you. So um, I really enjoyed hearing about it. 
Good, good. Well, I'm joined sharing and thank you so much for always being so civil in your emails to me. (laughs) (laughs) You too. (laughs) I appreciate it. (laughs) And we'd love to hear from you, our fabulous listeners. Um, Please try to be civil in your (laughs) messages to us. Um, You can reach out to us at workerbeing.com. You can email us at workerbeing at gmail.com. And you can find us on social media at workerbeing. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabarek and Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. Mm-hmm.